And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today is not our will, but God's will. And I call it broken will. And, um, and I want to do something. I do this with our youth here, and I do this with my youth all the time in, in Bellevue. And I just want to ask you to do something for me today. I just want to ask you to be real. Because I learned a long time ago, if I'm not real with myself, I'll never be real with God, and I'll never be real with others. And, and we lie to ourselves more than we lie to any other person or any other thing. And if, if you're not real today, then the, the, the thing I'm going to challenge you with is just going to go in and go out, and it's not going to make it. God wants to do something today with this message because he's, he's, I've had over a year to pray about this, and this is the one he keeps coming me back to. And I, I didn't know what to speak at a homecoming. I've never spoke at a homecoming. I was like, you know, coming home, I mean, what do you speak at a homecoming? I'm just excited. But I'm just going to preach what God laid on my heart. And I want to start out by having you examine your heart, and you have to be real with yourself. You have to reach in, and you have to really check yourself today by asking a question. I want to start off by asking a question. I don't want you to answer this question until the end. But what is your motive? What is your motive? What is your motive? That's the question. It's a simple question. But there, before we get into it and you really answer that, I just really want you to listen. So before we get to the scripture, you can go ahead and turn to Isaiah 14. I just feel like I need to pray. And then I'm going to pray and we're just going to dig into this. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you right now. I thank you for this opportunity. God, I don't take it lightly. God, I'm so honored to be behind this pulpit. And to preach your word to this great group of people. And God, I pray they don't hear me. And God, I pray they don't see me, but they hear and see you. God, I pray this morning you just give them Jesus. God, I just pray you give them Jesus and you show out and you show off as only you can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you're turning to 14, it should be on the screen too. Uh, and just in case they need to know, I'm, I'm going to be pretty much out of NIV today. Sometimes I use ESV, but today I'm going to be out of NIV. But I think those are the fall of Lucifer and Satan. And the morning star and the sun and the sun of dawn. He was a beautiful angel that one day decided he was jealous of all the attention God was getting. If we was to summarize the mission and the heartbeat of this fallen angel, Lucifer, I believe you would agree that two words capture the essence of who he was. As we read in Isaiah 14, 13 through 14, see if you can figure out the two words that capture the heart of Lucifer. So we're going to Isaiah 13 and 14 says he this is Lucifer saying, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Two words that capture the heart of Lucifer would be, I will or my will. Now, if you move over to the New Testament, you've got to turn anywhere, just listen, and compare that to Jesus, the Son of God, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Two words that capture the heart and the essence of Jesus would be, not my will, but thy will. Not my will, but thy will. And see, so Lucifer wanted everyone to worship him. Jesus wanted everyone to worship God. Lucifer wanted himself to be made known. Jesus wanted his father to be made known. There's a big contrast and a big difference here. Lucifer wanted his will, and Jesus wanted the will of the father. And the battle of good versus evil, my will versus thy will, my way versus God's way, still rages on today in the hearts of every follower of Christ. All of us in here, if we have a relationship with Christ, Every day have the spiritual battle going on inside. My will versus God's will. What I want versus what God wants. I don't know about you, but some days it rages harder and harder than other days. And I have to constantly decide. I have to constantly daily make a decision that it's got to be God's will and not my will. See, God wants us to completely surrender our life. And often he wants us to get to a place where we can passionately say, Lord, not my will but thy will be done. Not my ways, but thy ways be done. So today we're going to look at three phases of the surrendered life. 
We're going to look at three phases of the surrendered life, and everybody in this room fits in one of these phases. The only way you don't fit in one of these phases is if you've never asked Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. Then you don't fit in any phase. You're just lost. So I want you to find yourself in one of these phases, and then let's move toward the phase of ultimate surrender. So the first one would be this. Here's the first phase. You want what you want, and you want it now. You want what you want, and you want it now. Don't answer, but how many here are like this in many areas of your life? I want what I want, and I want it now. And a lot of it is because the world has taught us to want what we want and want it now. Everything's at the drop of a hand now. Everything that we want, fast food. It's really not that fast. I don't know why they call it fast food, but, I mean, uh, fast food. I mean, anything I want to look up, I can take my phone out and look it up. I can get the answer right away, right away. I remember back in the day when you looked up an answer, you didn't know the answer. You just let it go. Or you had to go to the library and actually look it up. I mean, don't y'all remember those days? Now everything's at the drop of a hand. And, and it's what the world has taught us, and now we want what we want, and we want it now. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8. I'll give you just a quick moment to get there, and we're going to jump right in. 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 7 through 15, and it should be up on the screen. This, says this, this story sets this point up so beautifully. It says, Elisha went to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, was ill. When the king was told the man of God has come all the way up here, he said to Hazel, take a gift with you and go to meet the man of God. Consult the Lord through him and ask him where I recover from this illness. Hazel went to meet Elisha, taking with him the gift of 40 camel loads of all the finest wares of Damascus. He went in and stood before him and he said, your son Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, has sent me to ask, will I recover from this illness? Elisha answered, go and say to him, you will certainly recover. But the Lord has revealed to me that he will fact die. in fact die. He stared at him with a fixed gaze until Hazel felt ashamed. The man of God began to weep. Why is my Lord weeping, asked Hazel, because I know the harm you will do to the Israelites. He answered, you will set fire to the fortified places, kill their young men with the sword, and dash their little children to the ground, ground and rip open their pregnant women. Hazel said, how can your servant, a mere dog, accomplish such a feat? The Lord has shown me that you will become king of Aram, answered Elisha. Then Hazel left Elisha and returned to his master. When Ben-Hadad asked, what did Elisha say to you? Hazel replied, he told me that you would certainly recover. But the very next day he took a thick cloth, soaked it in water, and spread it over the king's face so that he died. Then Hazel succeeded him as king. There are some things about this story that you need to know before I can make my point. God had already chosen Hazel to be anointed king. This won't be up there. But if you go back to 1 Kings 19, 15, it says, The Lord said to Elijah, Go back the way you came and go to the desert road of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel was king over Aram. It was God's will for Hazel to become king. But contrary to popular opinion, the last time I checked, murder isn't God's will. One side might argue, well, Ben-Hadad was an evil king and worshipped false gods. He deserved to die. Another side might argue, but murder is direct violation of the will of God. Regardless of your opinion on that, the one thing that we all can agree on, Hazel knew what he wanted, and he wanted it now. He didn't want to wait on God's time. He wanted it now. If you remember exactly, I don't know if you all remember this, but when I, we started that vineyard towards Birmingham, Ashley actually moved in August, and I moved in December. And I didn't know how to explain it, but all I could tell you is it wasn't God's timing for me to leave. It was God's timing for Ashley to leave. And for six months, we lived apart, the hardest six months of my life. 
And I'm so thankful I listened to God's time and not my time. Because in those six months while I was here, I still grew. I grew leaps and bounds. I mean, I saw things happen that I, with this church and in this church and then things he was doing up there. And if I would have went when Ashley went, it wasn't at the right time, and it probably wouldn't have went as smooth. But, but a lot of times, see, it was God's will for Hazel, but it wasn't his time. How many of us in here have gone through similar experiences? We knew it was his will, but not his time, and we stepped out too early. We stepped out too early. You want what you want, and you want it now. See, the problem, in my opinion, if you look at the American church as a whole, people live with this idea that I like to call theology of happiness. This idea of theology of happiness. Basically, people believe that the bottom line is we are to be happy. And if something makes us happy, then let's go ahead and do it, even if it's before or outside of God's will. And if we're happy, then God is good. But if we're not happy, forget God and forget the church because happiness is the bottom line. There's a big problem with that thinking. There's a huge problem with that thinking. God never promises happiness. I've never found in Scripture where God promises happiness. I've never found it. If you find it, please let me know. The problem is when I search scriptures, I find that it's not a bottom line. Is, that happiness is not the bottom line in our life, but holiness is. Did you hear what I said? I said happiness is not the bottom line in our life, but holiness is. Holiness is the bottom line. In 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, it says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. 2 Peter 3.11, it tells us we ought to live holy and godly lives. See, the bottom line is we're to be holy. God calls us to be set apart. God calls us to be different. God calls us to be holy. I tell my youth all the time. I tell my youth group. I tell, I, I, I tell them all the time up there. I don't know if I've ever said it here, but if you don't ever hear this, hear this. This is really good. Um, God didn't create us to fit in. God created us to stand out. Did you hear what I just said? God didn't create Jerry Tyson just to fit in and look like the world. Jerry, God created Jerry Tyson to stand out and make a difference. God set us apart for a purpose and a reason. And if we're just um, worried about happiness and we want what we want now, then we miss those opportunities to be set apart. Yet so many of us, God set us to be, called us to be set apart, yet so many of us settle for what we want when we want it, and it gets us out of, the, of God's very perfect will. It gets us out of God's will every single time. I don't know about you, but I don't want to settle no more. I don't know about you, and you can ask my wife. I, I, last few times I preached at our church, I preached kind of this message to our church in some other way. I'm trying to see other people settle. I just talked talk to my youth last Wednesday. Uh, about I was sitting at the beach and we was on vacation last week, the week before last. And uh, Lily Kate, my littlest one, two years old, helped me see some. I was preaching to my kids and brought it all full circle. You know, it says we're created in God's image, and it says we're created for a relationship. But you know what? We find more value, and we're in all of all these things, like the nebula and all these things that God's created. We're in all of that. I was sitting at the beach, just in all the beach. Lily Kate would run up the spiral stairs in the morning and come get in the bed, and she'd sit up, and you could see the ocean. She'd go, "Ocean, Dad, ocean," and she would just be amazed. She'd look back to see if I was looking, and it hit me. We get so amazed at God's creation, but we don't get. How do I say this? We get so in awe of God's creation, but the best creation He ever created, we have no value in ourselves. We're created in His image. 
settle too much. We don't do the things he created us to do. We, we don't finish out and do the things that God created us to do. We settle. I tell my kids all the time, Kenson gets tired of hearing it. I know he does. I, I, I don't want him to grow up and just go through life mediocrity and, 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 and doing just enough to get by. But that's what I see Christians doing. We're doing just enough to get by. We go to church to mark off a list or we do this and that to mark off this list. We should do it because we love Christ and it makes a difference. We do it for our love for Christ and what he did for us, not any way other way around it. God calls us to be set apart. But so many times we settle. Proverbs 19:21 says, many are the plans of a man's heart. But it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. What is it going to be for you? Are you going to pursue your plan that leads to nowhere? Or are you going to pursue the purposes of God? Some of us in this room, we live in the first phase. Some of us has been in the first phase. But a lot of us is in the second phase. So the first one was, we want what we want, we want it now. The second phase, you want what God wants, but. You want what God wants, but uh, you honestly want what your heavenly father has for you in life, but you have an escape clause or you have some fine print or you have your own standard that God must meet. Like, God, I will do this if you'll save this person or I'll do this if you do this. For you want what God wants, but. In fact, I argue every single one of us here has a but, and I'm not talking about the one you're sitting on. You hear what I said? I'd argue every one of us in here at some point and sometime has a but, and I'm not talking about the one you're sitting on. And all joking aside, the problem is that you have a but that's getting in the way of God's perfect will for your life. You want what God wants, but you can see a powerful example of this in Mark chapter 10. Turn to Mark chapter 10 as I set this up. We'll read verse 21 in just a minute. Jesus was having this cool conversation with a very wealthy young businessman. And this young man had a major problem, but this problem wasn't his wealth because in Scripture we don't see that forbidden. The problem was that his wealth had control of him. This man was gripped with material possessions. He didn't own them. They owned him. And Jesus was talking to him, trying to help him get free of those possessions that had such a grip on his life. Verse 21 and 22. Jesus looked at him. And loved him. I got to stop there because that doesn't really go with our message, but man, that's pretty powerful. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love that we have to love people before we can help. I love, you know, my, 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 message, my, my philosophy in the ministry is still the same. Love them like crazy and point them to Jesus. That's all I can do. That's all anybody can do is love on people like crazy and point them to Jesus. And here's Jesus talking to the rich young ruler and it says Jesus looked at him and loved on him. If we just loved people sometimes, we'd make a bigger difference. But let's get back to, this, to, the, to the, the thing today. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. See, the rich young ruler wanted to follow Jesus, but he wanted to do it on his own terms. See, in the American church, us included, we want to follow Jesus, but we want to do it according to our own terms. We want what God wants, but. All throughout Scripture, we see example of example after this, example of after example of this. In the Garden of Eden, we want to enjoy the intimate fellowship with God, but we want to eat the forbidden fruit as well. 
Jonah, we want to be a worshiper of God, but we don't want to preach to those low-down Ninevites. David, I want to be a man after God's own heart and love God, but I want to love Bathsheba too. Peter, I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I don't want Jesus to die. So how does this play out in our lives today? How does all this play out? I want this, it's simplified this way. I want what God has for me as long as I can be comfortable. I don't think Paul was always comfortable. I don't think Peter was always comfortable. I just don't. We, we don't want to get out of our comfort zones. We don't want to get out of the boat. We, we don't want change sometimes, and change is good sometimes if it's the right kind of change in the right way and it's God's kind of change. And I'm here to tell you the times in my life when I've grown the most is when I stepped out and I was the most uncomfortable dude around. Those are the times God showed up and showed out the most. When I would let go and let God, that's the times I've grown the most. And that's the time I'm growing the most right now because I feel like God's about to do something big in my life. I don't know if it's a big change. I don't know what it is. He just kept telling me, Jerry, I'm preparing you. And, and buddy, I have never sought after God like I've sought after in the last year and a half. And then my pastor wife came to me the other day. This was so cool. And she was praying with me. I was at the camp this summer when our kids, and we did a feet washing thing. And she was washing my feet. And she leaned over before she prayed and she said, I want you to know in the last year I've seen, I've seen you grow a lot. And because you've grown, I've grown. The pastor's wife. And it just blew my mind. And I'm seeking because I don't want to miss what God has for me and my family. I want to be right in the middle of his will for my life. And whatever that is, whatever that looks like, whatever he calls me to, that's what I want to be. And if it's uncomfortable, then I'm going to be uncomfortable. I remember leaving Bethany. I won't mention no names, but there was a few people that said, I can't believe you're leaving a full-time for a bivocational time. I can't explain it. God called me to Bellevue Baptist Church. And I can go ahead and tell you I'm full-time again. I'm the youth college pastor. I'm basically the associate pastor because I do everything Tim doesn't want to do. That is a joke. But I love what I do. I don't know if he's, all my life I've went to youth groups and they hadn't had a youth pastor in a while, and it died down to five, ten kids, and I'm supposed to build it back up. That's all I've ever done. I did that here, and I'm doing it there, and God has just blessed me everywhere I've went. But we have to be obedient, and we have to be in his will, and we, and we can't worry about being comfortable. Because I'm going to tell you, going from a full-time job to a part-time job, there's nothing comfortable about that. It's really scary. But I had to be obedient. I had to be obedient. You know, we have too many buts and too many qualifications. Whatever it is for you today, we need to surrender it to God and get it out of the way of God's will. Just like the businessman had to sell all his wealth, we need to take that but or those buts in our lives and lay it down. Listen to this. You will never know what God has for you when we live life according to our own terms and qualifications. We will never know his purpose for us if we live life according to our own terms and our own qualifications. In Titus 1.16, it says they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. That cannot be us. We have to stop claiming we want to know God and be this, and then our actions deny him. Actions a lot of times speaks louder than words. I hear it all the time growing up with the youth group and trying to disciple youth and disciple men. And, and, when, and, and I hear it all the time, I want this and I want this and I want this and I want this and I want that and I want to be this and I want to be this. Well, we've got to quit wanting. We've got to do what it takes to get there. 
So many times we're not willing to do what it takes to get there. We've got to quit wanting, and we've got to get in his word. We've got to quit wanting, and sometimes we just got to step out and trust. Sometimes we just got to let go, and we just got to let God. That cannot be us. Are we willing to do whatever it takes? So phase one, I want what I want, and I want it now. And phase two, I want what God wants, but... But phase three is where I pray that we all decide to live. That's where I want to live. That's where I am right now. You want what God wants, period. You want what God wants, period. No ifs, no ands, no maybes, no buts. When people wanted to follow Jesus, listen to what standards he gave them to follow. I think it will be on the screen, Luke 9.23. Luke 9.23, or you can turn there. Look what it says. And then Jesus said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must come broken and take up his cross daily and follow me. He has to daily die to self. He has to daily deny self. He has to give God control. I talked about that spiritual battle. It's a daily battle, and I have to daily decide that I'm going to live for Christ if I want to conquer the other side. It's a daily decision. And that ain't even the word I want to I want to, I want to just hone on in a minute or, or dig into in a minute. But it's a daily decision. We have to daily get up and make the decision, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ, and I'm going to make a difference for Jesus Christ. The word I want to I just really hone into is the word deny. The word deny comes from the Greek word arneomi, which means to disavow, contradict, reject, advocate, deny, or refuse. It means that we reject our own will so we can experience his will. We advocate or surrender or give ourselves over to him. We deny ourselves and we refuse ourselves. See, if you want to be followers of Christ, it's not just a simple prayer that gives us a get out of hell from card, but it's a fully surrendered life. And fully means every area, every compartment fully surrendered life. It's about denying ourselves. It's no longer about me. I surrendered all to him. It's not something that you just pray, but it's a lifestyle that you live. It's not something I just pray. It's a lifestyle that I live. It's no longer about you. You live and breathe it. It's who you are. Let me promise you something. Get this. This is good. Let me promise you something. Jesus is able to lead you to places that you'd never be able to go on your own. Did you hear me? Jesus will lead you to places that you'll never be able to go on your own. It's a place that will exceed our greatest expectation. If you remember when I was here, the name of our student ministry was Live It Up Student Ministry. That came from John 10.10. 10. And now I don't use that up there because, of course, I got a new name. We're just Bellevue Student Ministry because our church went through this simplify things, and I kind of like it. We make church too hard sometimes. It's, it's not rocket science. We make it rocket science. But I still use John 10.10 10 all the time because that's one of my life verses. It has, I, I think John 10, it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it to the full. And I think that word full has two meanings. I think one, that so many of us, we don't live life to the full here on earth because we think we're going to live life to the full only in heaven. That's a lie because God wants you to have full of meaning here on earth. But the other one is life's an adventure. I don't know about you, but when I step out of my comfort zone and I live for Jesus Christ, man, I have a good old time. I hate when I hear somebody say church is boring. Have you ever heard that? Raise your hand if you've ever heard that. Church is boring. Well, they're calling you boring because you're the church. You hear what I'm saying? There ain't nothing boring about old Jerry Tyson. I have a good time with Jesus. I, I, if you don't see anything else in my life, I want you to see my passion and my love for my Jesus. He's blown away all 
my expectations. It's a place where we see your greatest expectations. If we live according to his will, it, it, it will exceed your greatest expectations if you give him complete control. It will exceed your greatest expectation if you fully surrender. Man, I'm telling you, life with Jesus is an adventure. It's not something boring. I remember me and Jason, we used to have some good times. I remember that one time I walked to his door and David, John David, I don't know if you remember this, put that note on there and it had a little line with that mark through it said, no Jerry's. That was pretty funny. I still came in, John David. Um, we had a good time, didn't we, brother? Somebody asked me the other day, when are you going to become a pastor? I said, I don't know when God tells me to. I like what I'm doing right now. I love working with students. That's my heart. That's who I am. And, I mean, he's going to have to pull me kicking and screaming. I mean, but he'll let me know. I told him he's going to have to make it real clear because I love what I do. I love what I do. But here it is, guys. You can never experience that perfect will when it's all about you. I can't ever experience that perfect will and that adventure when it's all about me. I want what God wants, period. I want to go back to Jesus and Lucifer. Lucifer, remember, he had the, the, the heart of I will. So Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, hurting so bad. I can't even explain how much pain he is. He was in so much pain and agony of what was to come. The sweat mixed with blood was pouring from his head. And then, in a moment, he offers up the perfect surrender. By saying, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he died for me and you. See, in your own life, you have to come to a place where you have completely exhausted your own strength. And it needs to become all God. If you're not completely convinced that God's way is the best, then keep doing it your way. Pursue, pursue it with everything you got. Try it. I double dog dare you. Try to make as much money as you can. Absorb yourself in material things. Use and abuse people for your benefit. Make a name for yourself. And I promise you, then wake up one day empty, confused, and all alone. Because I guarantee that's where you'll be. If you choose that road, then that's your destination. But instead, we need to come to a place where we realize that our will will never get us to the place where God wants us to be. And where God wants us to be is so much better. Complete surrender. Not my will, not my five-year plan. Whatever you want, God, that's what I want, period. I want to end today with a verse in Psalms 37, if y'all could pop that up for me. Uh, I think this brings it all together. Psalms 37.4. It should be up on the screen, and you can just read it with me. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So what is God's will? God's will is to give you the desires of your heart. But don't mistranslate this like so many people do. God is my spiritual genie, and if I rub him the right way, the Holy Spirit will pop out and give me three wishes. No, that's not the case here. See, the problem with it is that this passage is taken from the Hebrew language, and we lose so much of the richness and the bigger picture of the translation. The great thing about the Hebrew language is that one word is often like telling the story or painting this big picture. See, the light comes from the Hebrew word onag. The light comes from the Hebrew word arnag, and its meaning really paints a picture of what this passage, passage is really trying to say. Arnag means to become soft or pliable, delicate, with enjoyment. I love that, with enjoyment. See, as you arnag yourself in the Lord, that simply means that you lose yourself in him. When's the last time you just let go and lost yourself in Jesus? 
being real. When's the last time you just let go? Let it all out. And just lost yourself in the Messiah. That means you know him. You listen to his voice. You follow his leading. He prompts you and guides you. See, your greatest desire is that you die to yourself so that you can live for him. Less of you, more of him. Less of you, more of him. Less of you, more of him. And as you start to enjoy the richness of God, you start to become soft and pliable. Not on your own, but in his presence. And as you come to know him, your heart softens and then he departs his desires to you. And now that you have denied yourself, your desires are neutral or have faded away. It becomes easier to grasp his desires. So now your desires are the desires that he imparted to you and he's able to give you the desires of your heart. But it's only after you become a nag with him, after you've lost yourself in him, completely lost yourself in him, and you denied yourself. 